Welcome to The Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about restoring your vitality after birth. But what does that even mean? Is restoring the same as getting your body back? What are the five universal needs towards restoration? How can you prepare for the profound experience of codependency that's coming your way within a culture that's obsessed with self-sufficiency? Kimberly Johnson shares a simple answer. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Fullscript, the number one online supplement dispensary for healthcare practitioners and their patients. Get the exact supplements your healthcare provider recommends on a consistent basis right to your door. Find out more at fullscript.com birthful. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Sunbasket, delivering pre-measured organic and sustainable ingredients right to your door so you can whip up healthy and delicious recipes in about 30 minutes. Go to sunbasket.com slash birthful today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. As always, thank you so, so much for listening and all the love you give this show. If what you hear is helpful, then please do take a few minutes to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Apple Podcasts or on Facebook or on Google or even just tell your friends about it. It does really help. Quick reminder also to doulas, childbirth educators, and birth professionals out there who are in or near Albuquerque, New Mexico, to come hang out with me on March 31st. I would love to see you and talk. And I'm going to be doing a one of a kind workshop on rethinking prenatals to support physiology and promote birth ownership. So let's get our birth junkie on and just talk about birth all day long. This is a workshop that's going to drastically shift your prenatals or how you do your childbirth education classes and how you help your clients or students approach their birth. It's going to really help make labor truly flow and have them understand how to go deep into the process, support physiology and own their births. Even if you're a seasoned doula, I promise you don't want to miss it. It will change things for you. Go to birthfulcourses.com to register for the Rethinking Prenatals Workshop. If you do it now, you'll take advantage of the early bird price, which is going away soon. So it's at birthfulcourses.com. All right. My guest today is Kimberly Johnson, who recently came out with a book called The Fourth Trimester, A Postpartum Guide to Healing Your Body, Balancing Your Emotions, and Restoring Your Vitality, which I've dutifully, that's a hard word to say, dutifully devoured. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adriana. Yay. So I am very excited to be talking with you about restoring vitality after birth. And I got to tell you, uh, first of all, I loved your book. I Oh, thank you. Such great resource. And I really appreciate your point of view in that it encomp- it's very holistic, right? It encompasses both emotions and mental states and physical body realities, which I think, I don't think there's a book that brings all that together, at least that I've seen. They're all more specific to one or the other. So yeah, thank you. Mm. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It means a lot when people in, you know, it means a lot when everybody gets something out of the book, but it's especially meaningful when people in the birth community find it helpful. 
Yeah, no, thank you so much for doing it. And so give us a little bit of background for the listeners who don't who are not familiar with you. How did you get to the place where you're writing a book on the first trimester? Mm. Well, I, like a lot of women, was really prepared for birth and had a birth plan and made a lot of adjustments in my life so that I could have the birth that I really wanted to have. I um, I moved, actually, because where I lived didn't have a midwife, and I knew that I wanted a home birth, so I moved to a place where there was um, midwifery care, and I rented an apartment in a city I'd never lived in, and I was living in Brazil at the time. And um, then, like many women, also, I just was completely surprised by how difficult um, the postpartum period was for me. And I didn't even, you know, people say, well, what was your postpartum plan? But that just kind of makes me laugh because I had no idea that that was even a thing. I had no idea that there was anything special about, I mean, of course, I knew it was special to have a baby. And I, but I had no idea that I would need anything special. And I had no idea that um, the potential physical ramifications would be. So I ended up with chronic lower back and SI pain, um, uh, hemorrhoids, fecal incontinence, just all of these um, super unpleasant symptoms that I had never experienced before and had not even conceived of experiencing. And then as I began my own path to healing, so I was told that I needed a full pelvic floor surgical reconstruction. And um, I was that was I knew that there was no way that I wanted that and I and I doubted that that would even help me. Um, I started just, you know, doing everything that I could to understand what was happening with me. Cause I really knew that it wasn't just number one, a personal problem. I knew number two, it wasn't a women's health problem. I did feel depressed, but I knew that I wasn't clinically depressed because I, all of the reasons, um, all of the suffering and physical pain and lack of support, that's what was making me feel depressed. It wasn't that I had a mental problem or a mental, you know, it wasn't simply a mental condition. And then thirdly, I recognized like this, there's something archetypal about this. There's something bigger than me that's happening right now that I just am trying to figure out. And so I started traveling and going to other cultures and mostly in Asia where there's very specific care for women postpartum. And I started to see that there was similarities among them. And then when I found sexological body work and somatic experiencing trauma resolution work, that's where I got the most healing and very significant, profound and efficient results. Like in three sessions, I healed my hemorrhoids, my diastasis. Um, it was just so fast that I, then other people started telling me their stories and uh, women were coming to me telling me about their back pain that they'd had for 20 years and what had happened 20 years ago was they'd had a baby or um, that their relationship wasn't going well and, and when did it start after they had a baby and I just started realizing you know that when I searched holistic postpartum care online all I found was hundreds and thousands and like I think like 500,000 entries on postpartum depression and that postpartum depression is real and that it exists. And I thought, well, yeah, because this is the only way that we even know to categorize this rite of passage. And I know about the history of women's health and how quick we are to call things hysteria or to 
um, assign them this meant it's easier to say it's a mental health problem than it is to address the underlying um, societal cultural framework that places women in a position where they're more predisposed to have difficulty. And I recognize, you know, as I started talking, even now, when I tell pe people say, what's your book about? And I say, you know, I've learned to say it in many different ways, because if I say it's about the postpartum period, people automatically assume that I that it's about depression. And they say things like, oh, well, I didn't have postpartum or, oh, yeah, my sister had really bad postpartum instead of recognizing it as a period of time that any woman goes through if she's had a baby or a miscarriage or a loss or an abortion. Um, it's just now been categorized as, and pathologized rather than just seen as a period of time that actually has very powerful um, special qualities to it that can leave somebody more radiant and more healthy if a woman has everything that she needs. Yeah. So um, I just went in, you know, I dedicated because I had such radical what I felt was radical um, healing benefits from the work. And so many women started telling me their stories. I realized that I had to do this work. And so the book is um, the synopsis of my personal experience with all of these things, including prolapse. And then um, the case studies of the women that I've worked with. And those are called community stories in the book. And then the information that comes, like you mentioned, from all these different directions. So it's like, it's the book that I wish that I would have had putting together the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, the sexual, um, the archetypal parts of all the changes we go through becoming mothers. Mm. And I find, you know, I, I, I love your book. And I think also, I, I see that there's lots of other books and lots of other resources and lots of other um, tools that are coming out almost out of the woodwork to help women and, 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 and people during that postpartum period. And almost as a backlash to that, like when I started doing, and it's not that long ago, I like even right. five years ago, when you Googled postpartum, not postpartum depression, but just postpartum, in Google Images, it was almost an anthropological study because then you got images of like everybody super depressed with their hands mm -hmm. on their forehead and crying. And one of the exercises that I I used to do for a workshop I taught was now it, it like now things have changed, so that's no longer a good uh, no longer a, an exercise I can do. But I would Google postpartum, not postpartum depression, just a postpartum in different languages, and in English you would get that. But like in Italy, it would be completely different. And if you went to like in Japanese, it was all about spas and, you know, body mm -hmm. work. And so mm -hmm. visually you could see the difference mm -hmm. of what people thought, you know, that experience was culturally. Um, totally. And so impactful. So I do really appreciate that it is changing and people are kind of like realizing, wait, I, I, we need to do this differently because it's not working for us and hopefully yeah. separate the idea of postpartum depression with the word postpartum. Like they're two different things. Postpartum can be glorious, like you said. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, fascinating the way that imagery and language shapes our experience. You know, we, most people know that to be true about birth, but, but we're just, as you said, there's just starting to be an upsurge of, of a real demand actually for women to have a place as mothers in the dialogue of feminism, in the dialogue of 
um, psychiatry, psychology, you know, like that becoming a mother is an actual rite of passage that requires certain things from family and community. And I totally agree. Like I, I'm grateful. It took me a really long time to write the book and I'm really grateful that it did because I think this is the perfect moment for it because people are actually wanting this information. And there's been great books written on postpartum before, you know, Robin Lim's books, it, exceptional in the early 90s um aviva rom's book is also fantastic in the early 2000s but um it's just you know there's cultural moments for everything and and i i don't think it's a coincidence that it's coinciding with the me too movement and this um upsurge of unshaming and claiming our bodies as our own and that our bodies matter. It's not just our baby's bodies that matter and our baby's lives and our baby's health, but our, ours matter too. So, um, I'm really grateful that this is, you know, I think it's going to be different for our daughters and just like nobody knew what a doula was 15 years ago. I think in five or 10 years, people are going to know what a stream practitioner is, what a sexological body worker is, what a postpartum doula is. And, understand that those aren't things that are for our babies. Those are things that are for us so that we can stay strong and whole and healthy throughout this journey. Exactly. And then they're not a luxury, but a necessity as part of just for long-term health and, and, and vitality. So focusing on, on restoring our vitality after birth and our topic today, um, you know, I think we need to define a bit what that means because there's this great misconception that it's about getting your body back, getting back to like where how things were before baby, which mm. is you know not even possible. But there's uh, culturally we've got these representations that that is a possibility. Um, so I think part of our even our, this conversation of restoring the vitality after birth is defining a bit of, you know, what does that even mean? Mm hmm. You know, it's so interesting because in English we say life force, vitality or life force. But that's usually just being used as a translation for prana or chi or these concepts of our vital energy, our essence, our, the thing that makes us us that are very obvious to a Chinese person or somebody that's, you know, Hong Kong, Taiwan, anywhere where Chinese medicine is the foundation of of life understanding because the just like in India Ayurveda wasn't it's not medicine separate from spirituality separate from you know human development it's an interwoven part of the culture here in the US we you know it's it's almost an awkward phrase life force you know like what does that really mean and so even talking about vitality is a little bit challenging because we don't have that long view of and, and that's really one of the calls to action of my book is like, let's look at the long view here. You know, we don't have to accept incontinence after menopause if we take good care of ourselves after we have babies. And so, you know, restoring vitality it doesn't necessarily look like becoming the person you were. But for me, you know, my postpartum period lasted six and a half years. And the way that I demarcate that is because that's when I felt like I had full access to my life force again, and that my physical body was repaired to the extent that I could use it how I wanted to use it. 
and that I felt available to life in the same way that I had felt previously. But it didn't mean that I did the same things that I did before. It didn't mean that my relationships were the same. It just meant that somehow this essence felt like it had that same robustness that it had before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's really important to talk about how, you know, that robustness d- does not mean that your body is exactly the same because having having a baby grow just state and be inside you and then come out whether it's like you know moving your pelvis or 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 whether it's a cesarean but big shifts happen and I love you use the word of of shifting often in your in your book and it's like Mm. so great because it's that tectonic plate movement of mm-hmm. you know the topography is going to change at all levels, um, but it's about restoring that vitality, like having a big solid forest grow on top of it after it mm. switched around. Not to like let's go back to how it was. Um, mm. That's yeah, a great, that's a beautiful metaphor. Good distinction. Um, so since it's not getting back to where you were, what does what? does restoring your vitality look like? And, and you mentioned six and a half years. What do you think is, is realistic in terms of expectations for a person to, you know, a- approach how long feeling restored might take? Mm. Well, there's so many factors that go into it. And, you know, many more than I had any clue to anticipate. So, you know, I like to think that my experience is, is pretty far on the spectrum of, of challenging and that not everyone is going to have the amount of challenges that I did. And I, and I hope for that. And that's one of the goals of my book is to help people have a bit of a light post along the way so that at least, at least there's somebody that's like holding your hand and understanding as you go, because I didn't really have that. I was sort of wandering around in the dark, you know, doing Google searches and asking people here and there because I didn't know I didn't even know what questions to ask because I didn't know exactly what was wrong. I just knew that something was wrong. Um, So the time that it takes, you know, here's the thing. It's we're all changing all the time. And that's just the nature of existence, right, is impermanence, that everything is always changing. Are we accompanying those changes? Maybe or maybe not. Are we are we in denial that there are parts of us that are dying all the time? Probably. Um, and we live in a culture that's very segmented in terms of um, generations and in terms of stages of life. And so we don't often cohabitate with or cohabit with death or even birth. You know, a lot of people have babies and they've never been around a baby or they've never seen it. They've never seen a baby be born or they've never been with a woman who is in the postpartum period. But in terms of um, restoration, I think that it really, you know, the postpartum period kind of takes the lid off of everything that's not resolved. And then there's also some very concrete things that contribute to postpartum healing. So there is an element that one can control and prepare for. And then there's elements that one cannot control and perhaps can't anticipate ahead of time. Um, But if we are doing our part to do the preparation, then those things that are out of our control won't, won't create so much difficulty. So like in my case, you know, I was living in a country, a new country where I didn't speak the language. 
Um, I had no idea that that would impact my postpartum experience. I didn't understand that like comfort, I wouldn't have comfort food. I wouldn't. And so then it became even more difficult for me to eat because there weren't that many things that I like to eat. And then I had to cook for myself. And in Brazil, there's, you have to make everything from scratch. There's not like Trader Joe's or like pre-chopped vegetables. So like you make beans, you soak them the night before you cook them in a pressure cooker. And it's, it's, it takes a lot like to make lunch. People start making lunch mid morning and most people have house help, but I wasn't used to that way of life. So I didn't have somebody living in my house that was helping me grocery shop and prepare food. I should have had that. Um, that would have been the best way for me to prepare for the postpartum period, but I just didn't know. And so, you know, there's so many variations on, on what is creating the most challenge or, or the biggest growth opportunity postpartum. And people for sure, their eyes bulge out of their heads when I say six and a half years, I think it's divided. Some people are incredibly relieved because they're like, well, that's kind of sound like that's the first sounding I've heard because it's certainly not six weeks and it's certainly not three months and maybe it's nine months maybe I kind of feel like myself at nine months or maybe it's when I wean my baby but you know I think every woman who's been through it is like well I know this because everybody who comes in my office asks me how long is this going to be like when is this going to be over and that could be when they're three weeks postpartum or that could be when they're 10 years postpartum and they're admitting, you know what, this really started after I had a baby, but I never took care of it. Mm. And there's so, that, ooh, sorry, there's that difference no, yeah, of, of whether you take care of it or not, which does affect oh, maybe how long it'll last. And I do want to talk more about that, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. A healthy lifestyle will always require some level of dedication. You have to make time for exercise, to de-stress, and of course, to eat right. And I so appreciate anything that can help me stay on track effortlessly. That is why I love, love getting meal kit deliveries from Sunbasket. Because with Sunbasket, it's easier to lead the healthy lifestyle that I want because I know I've got healthy, delicious meals covered. Sunbasket delivers meal prep kits right to your door filled with organic and clean ingredients. And since everything is pre-measured and easy to prep, it's like having your own sous chef so that you can get those meals, those delicious meals right on the table in about 30 minutes. Sunbasket can also be a fabulously simple way to nurture yourself and your family during postpartum. Because frankly, there are only so many frozen lasagnas from well-intentioned visitors that a new family can take. And with Sunbasket, now you get more options than ever. Just go to sunbasket.com slash birthful to pick from 18, yes, 18 weekly recipes. You'll find paleo, gluten-free, lean and clean, vegan, Mediterranean, family options, and more. Go to sunbasket.com slash birthful today to learn more and to get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket, so S-U-N-B-A-S-K-E-T dot com slash birthful for $35 off sunbasket.com slash birthful. And we are back. And, you know, that idea of how long it takes, yeah, I I think (laughs) from what I am hearing and from what I know is the answer is way longer than you think (laughs) or way longer than we talk about. And I, I also, you know, think of the moms that I help, um, with doula work and, and through their subsequent pregnancies and you know they've had 
one child, two child, the children, three, four, and finally maybe say at the fourth, they like, I'm done. And understanding that at that point, they kind of have a different way of recovering and restoring because their sort of child rearing days are done. But, um, or I guess birthing days are done, not child. Do you keep raising your child forever, children forever? Uh, but in terms of things that are helpful for restoring that vitality and how do you even prepare for that? Let's go first with, with like restoring the vitality. Even after each birth, what are some things people should look out for and sort of support? So in the book, I talk about the five universal needs and those are what I had identified across cultures where, um, that these are things that every woman needs, no matter where she lives and how old she is and when she gives birth. It's just what women need after they have a baby. And the first one is an extended rest period. And you could think about this as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that really the, the, the most, most, most important is an extended rest period. So that's 30 to 45 days to 60 days where a woman doesn't really leave the house. And she's mostly resting and still and doing just gentle breathing exercises, you know, maybe eventually some cat cows. Um, she's, she's being taken care of. Food is being prepared for her. She's having, um, you know, she's keeping herself warm and, and a lot of other specific things, but that are generally fairly easy to implement as long as you have other people around. So the first thing is that extended rest period. And I, I really can't emphasize that enough because most of the time there, there are some people who come from, come through birth with birth injuries, but a lot of times what has happened is that a person has not rested adequately enough and then the symptoms ensue. So did not have a prolapse after the birth, but then was prolapsed at three weeks or at six weeks or at nine weeks because they were doing too much. And so that rest period is critical. You can eat the, you know, the other needs, you can have all of those met, but if you haven't rested sufficiently, it's very hard. And if someone's listening and they're like, well, I didn't do that. So, oh, well, there's always repair that's possible. Um, there's, you know, in my, my case is an example of that. Like I'm fully recovered and I had a prolapse and, um, scar tissue in my pelvic floor and hemorrhoids and fecal incontinence. And I'm totally recovered from all of that. But it took me a long time. And if I had had that rest period where I had exactly what I needed, um, it, it would not have been so difficult. Breastfeeding would have been easier for me. There's a lot of things that, I that wouldn't have taken me so long to get back. And get back just meaning like feel like myself and be able to work and do things that I needed to do because I'm a single parent. So that I needed to do for my family. Um, so the extended rest period... And, you know, as I mentioned a lot in the book, like these, these things are really the recipe and the medicine that our culture needs. So it just so happens that how women need to be treated postpartum is really how we need to be treating ourselves so that we can move towards more health and life in our culture. So slowing down, resting. The second one is nourishing food. And that means warming foods, Foods that um, have a lot of col that are collagen dense and mineral rich, the way that I and, and high in fats, saturated fat, um, not hydrogenated fat. So 
that comes from looking at specific, every culture has specific foods that women are given after they have a baby. You know, in Korea, it's a lot of seaweed soups. In Hong Kong, it's black chicken soup. Um, all over the world, there's like very specific things that women are given postpartum, and that's to help the tissues rebuild. It's to help the ligaments, the 16 ligaments that hold the uterus in place. It's to help those, instead of becoming like, you know, warm taffy that just keeps stretching, it's helping them regain their shape. But if we're walking around in gravity all the time, that taffy is getting stretched and the organs don't have a chance to go back to where they need to be. Uh, it takes a lot longer than 12 days. The, the standard medical knowledge is like it takes the uterus 12 days to go back to its normal shape. Um, a lot of times the uterus doesn't go back to its normal shape and it doesn't go back to its optimal position. But we can help with that if we are actually resting and not moving around, not lifting things, not climbing ladders, not chasing other children. Um, and the third thing is nourishing touch. So loving touch. Every culture has a bodywork practice that goes together with the postpartum period. Um, in India, it's abhyanga, it's oil massage. And, and basically, this is like a circular, rigorous circulatory massage that's flushing the body, helping it detox from all of the hormonal changes that happen during birth and birthing the placenta and then the fluctuations with um, breastfeeding. And then the next is the company of wise women. So women are surprised to hear, but I, I, everywhere I go, I tell people, women with new, new moms with babies shouldn't be alone with babies for more than two or three hours at a time. Like, to be alone with a baby all day, anyone is going to end up depressed and low energy with the diminished vitality because we're not meant to be alone in that period of time having to figure out how to shower, how to get a glass of water, how to get enough. I mean, there's no way you can even eat enough food when you're alone trying to do that. So um, this is where the village comes in and people kind of look at me like, well, this is all just impossible. Like, or either this is expensive or this is impossible. And we just have to get creative about it. Um, it's, it is possible. And even if you can only do 25% of what I'm saying, it will make an exponential difference because even if you can only afford to hire a postpartum doula to come one day a week for three hours, Knowing that that person is going to come every Friday and that person is going to come to take care of you, not a night nurse, not someone to hold your baby, somebody that is going to straighten up your house, make you the food that you need, give you some body work, lead you through some breathing and postural rehab exercises, sit with you while you ask questions and hold space for you is, is an, of enormous benefit, even if it's just once a week. You know, in the postpartum Ayurvedic postpartum doula tradition, that it's somebody that lives there or is there every single day. And most people, again, are like, that just seems out of, like, well, that's not practical. And I want more privacy. And I just want to do this with just me and my partner. And, you know, most people's postpartum plan is like, my husband's got two weeks off of work. And I just am like, okay, and what's your postpartum plan? Because two weeks is a flash. And a partner is not a postpartum plan because they don't know the specific needs that women have postpartum and they're not equipped to, to fulfill all those needs. So um, it requires really making ourselves a protagonist of the experience and setting ourselves up for success, believing that our health and our body matters just as much as the baby's does. 
and that it's a way of preserving relationship and preserving intimacy if we front load the investment. If we say, you know what, I'm going to line myself up to have more help than I think that I need, that I need, and then I can have less if I need to. But at least I know I have as much as I'll need. Yeah, and I I know that for anybody who's hearing this and haven't hasn't had a baby, that this sounds like. And, and, and you've had the same experience that it sounds like, wait a second, how am I not even going to like get out of my house in 60 days? So how, how does a person integrate like that part of the resting and that part of I understand the nourishment and, and figuring out nourishing touch and trying to figure out what parts of this to do. But is is the trying to rest the most important of the five? Like, are they exponential and build on each other? Yeah, the resting is, so in Chinese medicine, you know, the essence is talked about in two different ways. And essentially, if, if we are yin deficient, which often happens in the postpartum period, then there's no life force to draw from. So the only way to replenish that is through resting and good food. But if you're eating good food, and you're not really resting, so either that means you're, you don't have the you're not taking the time to rest or that when you do have the time to rest that your body's actually not able to downregulate itself which is where the foods and the, the touch come in and, and relating comes in to help your system downshift um, then you can eat all the good foods and do all the rest of the things but you don't really have that essential life force essence to pull to the surface to give you what you need for the healing process. So yeah, the resting is the most important thing. And how you do it is just like people are now knowing about meal trains. You put together a chore train and you put together a friend train and you ask people to come and visit you and stay with you. And you realize that this is not an individual experience, that even if you have only a so-so relationship with your mom or your mother-in-law, as long as it's good enough, that you you are going to need more help than you think that you will. And lots of people say, but my mom drives me crazy and all those things. And I say, okay, well, if you if it's not your mom, if, you, if for whatever reason that's not the person, they don't live close enough, whatever, um, you, you need to be mothered. So who's going to mother you? Because if you don't have that mothering, you will be resentful and it will open a gaping mother wound that may – may not need to be opened at that time because you need new mothers need to be mothered. Everything that they're giving to the baby, the loving touch, the eye contact, the vocal intonations, a new mother also needs that. Mm. So where is that mother getting it from? And I really appreciate that, that analogy of whatever you're giving, it needs to come back. <laughs> somebody needs to give some of that back to you. right? Um, and we, we make a mistake because we think that because, you know, where we are in our culture is like genders are equal and all genders, not just the binary gender. So genders are equal. And so everyone should be able to do an equal amount of things. But anyone who's birthed a baby and been in any kind of remote partnership or even not in partnership knows that it's not equal. It's not an equal experience. And so therefore, we're not equally attuned with the baby. 
um, the person who birthed the baby is primed to be more attuned to the baby. And we may want to intellectually or ideologically believe that there's equality there, but our biology and our physiology predominate that. So really, it's not about two parents who can equally parent the child. It's about a mother who has the support so that she can mother the way that she needs to be. And and I know that even hearing it, people are probably rolling their eyes disgusted, don't want to believe that because it really goes against our feminist conditioning. And and I am a feminist, by the way, but it goes against what we've been taught that like we should all be sharing these responsibilities in, you know, I, when I was in Brazil, it was everybody says all the time, well, for the first two years, the baby needs the mom more. And that kind of pissed me off because I thought, well, that's you're just using that as an excuse to not do your like not do your part and like put it on me. But at the same time, they really do recognize like this isn't an equal job right now. And so rather than trying to turn the other parent into an equal parent, it would be better that that other parent protects the birth space, protects the mother, makes sure that the mother has what she needs so that she can attune to the baby. I watched a session recently with um, with Ray Castellino, who specializes in um, perinatal and prenatal psychology and, and bonding. And the these two very kind, well-meaning parents were like, bouncing their baby and handing it back and forth to each other and then oh no the baby's not calming down okay hand it back and then hand it back and so when they the Ray and Mary he works with together with the midwife they entered this couple's home the way that they created harmony in the situation was that they gave the baby to the mom and then the mom kind of sat in the corner of a couch and then they positioned the dad so that the dad was cradling the mom and so that the, the mom could lean into the dad but before all of their uh, uh, all of their um, eye attention, like all of their focus was going to the baby and it was almost like that much energy the baby couldn't metabolize. But when the baby was just held by the mom and nursing and the mom could really rest into the dad, the whole scene shifted because it was like right relationship. Like, okay, now the mom has what she needs to physically, literally lean on her husband and to be cradled and now she can do that for the baby and the baby's not having to like you know the the baby could enter into that rhythm Mm. Kimberly we're going to take a quick break but when we come back um I want to talk about aside from the postpartum plan like what are some things that people can start doing during pregnancy to make this postpartum time easier so we'll be right back One of the most important things new moms and moms-to-be can do for themselves and for a baby who depends on them is to make sure they're getting enough nutrients. A healthy diet certainly goes a long way, but dietary supplements can also help moms get what they need. However, the last thing a pregnant person wants to do is run around town trying to track down that exact prenatal vitamin, supplement, herbal remedy, or tea that their care provider recommended. You've got enough on your plate. So imagine if your care provider could send the exact recommended product by speedy delivery straight to your door. And imagine if you got a reminder to reorder online just as you're nearing the end of the bottle. Fullscript is an online supplement and natural product dispensary for healthcare practitioners and their patients. If you're a pregnant mama who wants a fast and effortless way to get your supplements and other natural products, ask your healthcare provider to sign you up for Fullscript by going to fullscript.com birthful. 
And if you're a healthcare provider who wants to make sure your patients get the exact products you recommend on a consistent basis and at competitive prices, then sign up for a totally free Fullscript account today at fullscript.com slash birthful. And we are back talking with Kimberly Johnson about restoring your vitality after birth. So in the concept of restoring, right, the, the less, the more you can shore up ahead of time, <laughs> the less that goes away, mm. kind of like the less you have to restore. So what are some of the things that can be done during pregnancy to support that transition and help set the stage for this nurturing during the fourth trimester? Yeah, so I do recommend doing a postpartum plan. And and what that entails is just kind of, number one, before you have the baby, having a couple of conversations with your partner, just talking about what do you think is going to be different? How do you both usually deal with stress? Do you need like a code word so that if you really feel like you're going under, you can tell the other person like I'm not doing well, but you have a way to kind of reach reach out to each other. Um, you know, what, what expectations do you have of each other? What, what's your realistic, which are not realistic. And, um, you know, there's research on it. Actually, the Gottman's did research that, um, there was a 67% marital decline after the first baby. So they studied the 33% of couples that there wasn't a marital decline and, and what were satisfaction decline and what, what were they doing? And one of the things they were doing was having conversations preemptively about the shift that was coming and how they could support one another in that. So um, that's really useful. In the and even in the book, there's even some like conversation starters and like ways to have that conversation. Um, you know, it's great to research in your area who are the pelvic floor PTs. Get a pelvic floor physical therapy session scheduled because the six week postpartum visit that you get from most midwives and doctors is very short. Um, there's a big lead up to it because you think, okay, like at six weeks, I'm going to do it. And and the point of the appointment is to get like a green light for exercise and sex. And pretty much everybody gets that green light and they may or may not get an internal exam. So they go thinking they're going to like understand what's going on in their pelvic floor and in their vagina, but they really don't get clarity. So it's really helpful to make an appointment with someone who's going to evaluate what is the strength because everybody thinks, oh, that my muscles are just too loose. But is that true? And and um, is there scar tissue? And do you need some rehabilitative work on your pelvic floor? Because essentially, what's going on in our pelvis affects our mental health, affects how we're feeling uh, about engaging with our partner, affects how we're feeling about if it would be possible for us to exercise and what would be healthy exercise. So I really recommend um having those resources picked out ahead of time so that when you need them, you don't have to go on a search for them. They're already at your fingertips. When's a good time to schedule that visit? I know the six week is like when you usually see your primary care, but for PT, should you wait until then or do it earlier? What do you think? I usually don't see people till six weeks just because um, I feel like that's safer. You know, if people really are having huge problems, then I will make a house call, but I don't really want women even leaving their house before six weeks. So I don't want them to come to an appointment with me before then. Got it. So yeah, I think around the same time, um, because liability wise, I think a lot of PTs won't do it earlier because they need the doctors go ahead to be able to do the work. And I just recommend that women, you know, they, that you ask your, you ask your practitioner for that referral because many doctors actually, you know, it's, 
it's confounding and it seems impossible, but a lot of doctors don't really know about physical pelvic floor physical therapy. So they're not, that's not going to come to their mind to do. So you kind of have to say, you know what, I'd like this referral. And, and if it seems like, well, there's nothing wrong, why would you want this referral? It's like, well, um, just because, you know, I've heard in other countries that this is standard care and I really feel like I could use that evaluation. It would be helpful for me. Mm, Great pointer. So you do the postpartum plan, you get your resources for pelvic floor PT. And and once you have the baby, like have somebody like figure out how to schedule that visit. What other things can you do? Well, you can have a postpartum doula. So you can um, save resources or ask family members rather than giving you baby clothes to contribute to your postpartum care so that you can have somebody come to your house, um, you know, several times a week or one time a week or whatever is within your resources. And then, like I mentioned before, I really think it's helpful to have a friend train and a chore train and a meal train so that you have a lot of different support available to you. And that, you know, eventually right now we're trying to recreate something, you know, we knew how to do this. We used to live in community and a hundred years ago, this was obvious. A woman had a baby and neighbors are just bringing over food because that's what you do. But now we're trying to restore these traditions. And so those of us who are at the forefront of it, we have to do a lot of educating. That's why the book is helpful, because instead of our moms feeling like, why are you like, what's wrong with you that you can't take care of yourself? I didn't get help. Why do you need so much help? It's just you can give the book and it's a common resource that you can refer to that gives the the background on why this isn't luxurious and and you know we can have compassion for our moms that they had to do so much on their own and without support but that in this restoration eventually um these things will be it will just be more normal to ask for and to do but right now there is you know the little bit of discomfort of plus you know we live in a culture that is so hyper self-sufficient that asking for help is seen as vulnerability or weakness and so we really have to practice doing that it's not comfortable at first yeah, and I think giving yourself that permission to receive the help is a huge, like practicing that is a huge shift um, because as we've said, a lot of the things that you're mentioning and, and you've experienced this, like when you first tell people this, the first reaction is kind of a little bit of recoil of what do you mean? That's that. There's no way I'm doing that. So sort of giving yourself permission and exploring that. Um, when I have, I have a postpartum plan worksheet that I give my clients and it's on the website too. And I actually call it a postpartum vacation plan in uh-huh. that, in that, sort of to try to encourage that permission of not doing anything for those first few weeks of the fact that, you know, we have for as much as we're hyper self-sufficient and go, 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 go and have to do everything stronger, longer, better. um, One of the things we do kind of know how to do culturally is take vacations and That's the sort of mental space where we give ourselves permission to actually do nothing, to sleep in, to try, you know, have good food, to let others do our laundry and, you know, clean and do all these things. So I find it's helpful to reframe it as that, as like you're going on a very weird vacation. (laughs) How are you planning? Relaxing vacation you'll ever go on. Right. Very weird. You're discovering your new self and discovering your new baby. So that's your discovery stuff. But how, what can you do? Like you don't water plants for a vacation. You don't vacuum. You don't do any right. of that. 
right? Just yeah, give yourself great. that permission. So I find that's helpful. And But we need a cultural shift. We definitely figure out how to get people to be okay with doing this. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like so, it's such a huge conversation and there's so many ways um, that we could be practicing it. You know, like if we were really resting one day of our cycle or on the new moon and that really meant, you know, going inside and communing inside, then we would have a little bit of practice at it. Because it's one thing to say, I'm going to rest. And it's another thing to actually know how to rest. And most people are operating in a very high level of sympathetic arousal most of the time. And so to be able to downshift and surrender to that rhythm where you're not being productive and you don't have a to-do list that's like getting checked off. And, and a lot of people have unknowingly connected their self-worth to those things. And so, you know, it's, it's a radical shift for everyone, even if you have practiced those things, because you just think, how could this be so hard? And even if somebody has told you it's hard, it's not the same as going through it yourself. But if we, if we can really embrace it, I mean, that's, that's, that's the hope, right? Is that this, instead of all of this being seen as something that's getting in your way, like, oh, this like whole thing that's just like getting in my way and, you know, one of my friends said to me, I finally realized that my baby's not getting in my way. My baby is the way. Mm. And, you know, it's radical. It's just because I, I go through it. My daughter is 10 and I still feel sometimes like, God, if I didn't have her, I would be like, I, my, my next book would already be written and I could get up at six in the morning and accomplish this and this. And like, there's a feeling sometimes that I have to check myself, like she's slowing me down. And it's like, thank God she's slowing me down because I, I don't even want to think about what I'd be doing if I didn't have that material world like reality check of come on now, what's really important. And so, you know, it we do have to recondition ourselves and it's it's a part of maturity. But as we have children later and later, our ego identities are more fixed. It's harder to shift our patterning. It's also harder to stay up all night than it was when we were 22, you know, when you're 37, it's a lot different than when you're 18 or 22 or 25. And so I, but I think that those very reasons are why the necessity for this care is, is rising to the forefront because we could kind, you know, our moms could kind of get away with it when they were 22. Um, but it's, we can't get away with it anymore. And because our environment is filled with so much stimulus, you know, social media just makes our lives faster and faster. And we have to be so vigilant about how we monitor our own screen time and amount of emails we do. And, you know, all of that stuff Our the outside world is encouraging us to go faster and faster. And so here we have this radical pendulating shift to slowness. That, that arrives in our system even more shockingly because we're just not used to being there. And, and there are ways to practice this. You know, I mentioned resting when you have your period. There's also just slow exploratory sex, you know, doing sex differently, not having the kind of sex that's about 20 minutes and you do me, I do you, and you get off and I get off and we call it good. It's like, you know, setting aside hours at a time because female arousal takes 45 minutes. Like we shouldn't even be penetrated until we're fully aroused. And a lot of women have never even experienced that. So um, allowing for that time of connection and embodiment and breathing and rhythmic cycles is another way to practice 
um, the downshift and the relaxation, the loose, you know, I call it in the book, loosening your grip, like loosening the grip of this solid identity. And it's such an amazing gift. It's like the only, it's the, it's a biological built in rite of passage. And it's in other cultures, you know, they make stuff up to put men through rites of passage, but they, but we don't have to for women because we already have that built into our biology. And I think it's more of recognizing it as a rite of passage and what the meaning of that is, because we that's another phrase that people recoil from. It's like, what do you mean rite of passage? You know, I don't need to demark all these mm. situations. And there's, but at the same time, we do create, like if, say for example, around marriage and all that that's built up to that, like you make vows to this person if you got married, to this new life that you're going to share together, right? That's a rite of passage, even though we don't like to call it that. Um, mm -hmm. And then with motherhood, though, we, we're not giving it the space as a rite of passage. It doesn't have that sort of same ceremony to it um, because we're not making vows to our new selves as mom or, or vows to our babies. Um, and I think like that would even be really interesting to explore. The rite of passage? Well, and creating some more ceremony around it instead of like you just have a baby and continue with life as is and get back to work right. at two weeks and, you know, do all the things you were doing before, which were you were already struggling to do because it kept your life crazy. And now add to it the layers of having to take care of a being that requires you for all sorts of substance and also is not letting you sleep. And yeah, just keep going like mm -hmm. it's nothing. You had a baby, right. go, go on, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in the book I talk about sort of marking it with the mother blessing and then like a postpartum sealing ritual afterwards. But again, you know, we're we're like we're in a stage of reinvention, and I think a lot of people are realizing that you know we've moved. Most many people have moved away from formal religion. And there's a lot of attempts at sort of filling what that what formal religion does for people, which is, you know, create a weekly ritual of community of some kind of devotion to higher power. And and we're struggling as a culture to try to figure out how to fill that gap in and and what goes there. So for some people, it's their yoga studio and yoga practice and, um, you know, and, and it's it's awkward. I find it's awkward because, you know, I creating one of these rituals is you end up borrowing from different places and maybe some of it feels slightly like appropriative, but is it okay or not okay? But, you know, but there is a need, there's definitely a need for gathering. And we know that because that's why we do baby showers. It's just that the baby shower ends up being kind of a superficial, materialistic, not very meaningful exchange. You know, it's meaningful for people to get together, but what women really need is to hear each other's stories. Women need to hear from each other, like, what is it that you wish you would have known? Or what is the message that you, like, when you went to the dark depths, what did you learn there? And what are you coming back with? And what can the community gain from that? So the, the last phase of a rite of passage is integration. And integration means that the person comes back from the proverbial mountaintop, which in this case is the birth scenario. And, you know, when we talk about pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, there's sort of these overlapping circles of how these phases can go. But if we think about 
in this case, the birth being the mountaintop, because that's where your body is the ritual site of sacrifice, that you come back from that and you tell your community, this is what happened there. This is what I learned. This is the animal I saw. This is the symbolism for me of what this meant. And in indigenous cultures, they consider that if you don't have that integration phase, that that person will be lost. And that person perhaps will have psychosis because they won't have any landing place for that new person, the new identity. It's not the same person that comes back. So that new person needs a home inside community. And that's where we're failing people. And, and what we see right now is the outcome of, you know, a few generations of people not being recognized that this is a rite of passage, whether or not you want it to be like, you know, it, it is. And you can try to push it away and ignore it. But life is is both generous and cruel in that way. I, I think of it as a revolving door. That door is going to come back and hit you in the back again if you didn't get it the first time. So nobody gets out of the, you know, if one person, their birth was perfect and great, then they have challenge with breastfeeding. Or, you know, one person had terrible birth, but wow, breastfeeding went well and they felt really supported postpartum. Or someone sick their whole pregnancy. You know, it's like, Nobody gets out of the entire experience without being remade and rearranged in some way. And that is that is a gift. And that is that's what seasons us into being able to be to be wise and to have something to actually contribute to our culture, because we, we, we're not separate from everyone else. And this experience is a profound experience of interconnection. And it comes as a big shock. When everything in our culture tells us that we shouldn't be codependent and the more we can do alone, the better we are, the stronger we are, the more accomplished we are. And it's, it's, a, it's a very masculine point of view, but we've adopted that unhealthy masculine as women. And now we're at this cultural crossroads where it's like, well, that didn't work because women are getting more autoimmune diseases than ever. Women are doing more than ever, but haven't given up any of their roles. And, and most, many women are finding they're like, okay, so I got everything I thought I wanted. Why do I still not feel that great? So this is a, this amazing opportunity to repair those things. Mm. And so much so, right? And and that starts with giving yourself the permission to create that space of resting and introspection and of sharing and, you know, back to the, the five universal needs that you mentioned um, with nourishing food and loving touch, um, which do you know the story of the woodcutter? I don't know. I'd like to hear it. Yeah. So this is a story that, you know, I heard when and it's a lot of people know it. And, and I heard it when in Spanish when I was a little kid. But, you know, it's one of my dad's favorites. But it's there was the woodcutter that wanted to have a job and, and you know, cutting wood, which already it's so horrible. But anyway, Nina <laughs> wanted to get the job, got the job. And it was a super great paying job. And he was super excited. And he's going out first day and chopping wood like crazy and gets 18 trees and the next day goes out and goes like crazy and does 15 trees and the following day goes out and does 10 trees and it's going like what is going on I am doing like all I can and I'm getting like less and less productive when so he goes to to his boss and brings in you know that day down to seven trees and says I've been doing all this work and I'm working I think I'm losing my strength because I'm working so hard and I'm actually bringing in less and I don't know what's going on and the boss goes well when was the last time you sharpened your axe 
And it's that, right? Like that, that phrase has stuck with me forever. And it's whenever I'm feeling like, oh, I'm not doing as much as I should be doing, or, you know, I'm, I'm doing something for myself instead of doing this, like it feels almost indulgent, right? Of I'm having a massage or, and thinking, wait, this is sharpening the axe. This is sharpening the, I have to sharpen the axe because I have, mm. it's giving yourself that space so that then you can be better. Otherwise you just get depleted, right? The guy is doing more and more and, or spending more energy doing less, um, which goes back to what you were talking about postpartum of how we just want to get back really quick. And then we find that we have lifelong injuries and, and, and issues that come up later. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And especially now that we're living a lot longer, you need to yeah. really, really sharpen that, like really take care of yourself because that body needs to last well, like decades more than mm-hmm. they used to, right? Definitely. And, you know, we want to be healthy and intact and radiant, not, you know, sometimes we kind of live in a culture of management rather than healing. Like, okay, something's wrong. So like just manage the symptom. And that's what a lot of doctors tell women is that it's, um, you know, okay, so you're prolapsed. Well, you know, just keep having babies. And then when you're done, we'll give you surgery. When in fact, you know, the message of the book and the message of my life has been that healing all of this is possible non-surgically. But it does require shifts in attention and perhaps doing things differently. But all of those things are moving us towards greater health and greater wholeness. So it really is in service of a fuller life, even though it can seem defeating and challenging and frustrating and all those other things. Absolutely. So is there something that we the, the, uh, relating to restoring your vitality after birth that we haven't mentioned yet that is important for us to say mm. i mean there's so much right like coming from ch- traditional chinese medicine and ayurveda and all that all, all the more specifics are in the book but i think that um Yeah, it's it's a radical act as a woman to put our pleasure and our pelvis on high on our priority list. And there's a lot that stands in our way of doing that. And we come up with a lot of excuses not to do it. And you know, women call me and tell me they they have three kids and they're incontinent. And I used to charge 150 for a session. Now I charge more. But and then they say they're not having sex with their husband because because of these things. And then when I would say it was 150 dollars, they'd say, "Well, I have to go and talk to my husband about it." Um, and then they would never call again. And I just thought, "Wow, you know, 150 dollars, like to have the chance to." feel integrity in your pelvis to be able to be secure to not have to plan your days or your physical activities so that you're not wetting your pants so that you could be intimate with your partner again but for women it's just so hard to prioritize you know they if if it was a dental emergency for your kid no one would think twice about paying 150 dollars or probably 1500 dollars 
But when it comes to us prioritizing and centering our own experience, most women have a very challenging time doing that. And when we talk about patriarchy and we talk about all of the things that need to change, like we can change that as we center our own experience in this transition. And it's not about being entitled. It's not about being a princess. It's not about um, being, you know, high maintenance. It's about being real about the gravity of the transition and what, and, and it's harder than ever before for women to have babies. Our birth practices in this country are not conducive to women having uninterrupted physiological births. And so that adds to the difficulty in recovery. The more interventions that you have in the birth, the more your body has to recover from. All the more reason that you need more rest, not less rest. You know, I just had my first client who told me she was working 45 minutes after delivery. Like I've had people tell me two days after delivery, whatever, but 45 minutes she had her laptop out and her baby was in the plastic bassinet beside her. And she was telling it to me crying in disbelief that that had that it had gotten to that place. Um, but, you know, it's we don't like where was the person taking care of her saying, sweetheart, you're probably in shock right now. You know, you just got a whole bunch of stitches like bring your baby to you and like we'll take care of this later. Her husband went home to walk the dog. It's like it's as if there's like this this almost denial at work that like things are still the same. They're not the same. Somebody else can walk your dog. You just had a baby. You need to be surrounded by people that are caring for you and and helping you. Absolutely. And I mean, it is a radical act. And it's the first as caregivers, your first charge of care should be yourself. Because otherwise, the whole system breaks. Like, yes, you need in order to be able to continue to taking care of people around you, you need to be taken care of. And I can't. Yeah. Uh, that story just breaks my heart. And he went to walk the dog. And she's on her laptop. Yeah. And you know, that's an extreme situation. But just like my story is a bit extreme. It's helpful because we can all see ourselves in part in part of that. You know, I gave birth 10 years ago before I didn't have a smartphone and you know, before Instagram and everything. So I don't I don't even judge it because I don't know what it would be like for me now. But I do know that one of the last deliveries I was in, there were six people in the room and five of them were on their cell phones. So and we just just like we have to have carve out time for ritual and carve out time for union and connection with our partners we we have to be uh, i was going to say victoriously which is kind of funny i don't know why that word came to mind but we we have to be very precise and deliberate about defining the space that we want the beginning of our lives as a mother to be just as it's the beginning of our child's lives. And, you know, in Ayurveda, they say, you know, it takes 24 hours to 72 hours to birth a baby, but it takes at least three months to birth a mother. And in that birthing process, again, women need to be mothered. So if that's happening, then the vitality, there's an exchange of vitality that's happening. Between you and the baby. You and the baby and and you and the people who are taking care of you. Yes. Yeah, because where are you sourcing from? That's that your sourcing has to come from somewhere. Yes. And if it's just coming in from inside you, then you begin to you're depleted. 
you, you right. go into depletion. Yes, absolutely. So I hope that, you know, listeners are radical in giving themselves mm. the permission to to create the space for rest. Um, and thank you so Me much. Me too. And even yeah. if it's only, you know, we tend to also live in an all or nothing culture. Like, why well, didn't do everything? So just forget it. it. Even if it's just listening to this, make someone do one more thing. That's great. Or one it's less one thing. More thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, what I meant was like, put one more piece of support in place, yeah, yeah, you know, know. Yep. If, even if it's just that you asked one more person for help, or you asked the person who gave you your baby shower, could they coordinate your meal train or, you know, whatever that is. If it, you know, I've had people do radical things after reading the book. One person wrote me and said she moved back in with her mother who she thought she really didn't want to deal with, but she recognized after reading the book, whoa, I'm going to need a lot more than I thought I would. And she made a big change like that. And, you know, for some people, they will need to make a big change, but for others, it's really just that recognition that there, nobody ever said I have too much postpartum support. And a whole lot of people say I had hardly anything of what I needed. So um, better to over-prepare in that sense. Yeah, overdo it. Um, Kimberly, if people, I almost called you Kim, Kimberly, if people want to <laughs> want to connect with you and follow more of what you're doing, how can they do that? They can go to magamama.com. M-A-G-A-M-A-M-A.com. That's my website. My podcast is on there. Um, all the podcasts that I've been guests on are on there. Um, I also have an audio of how to do a, a Kegel that works. So if people need help understanding what a Kegel is and if they should be doing them, there's that information there. And then I'm on all the socials. So on Facebook, I have a business page at Magamama, then my personal page, and then I have... Um, my Instagram is magamamas, just with an S on the end. Mm, and I do recommend, I've been loving your podcast, so I do recommend um, people to listen because if they're listening to this, they like podcasts. So Magamama yeah. podcast is also lots of fun. And so thank you so much for being on the show today. It was lots thank of fun. You. Thanks, Adriana. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Fullscript and Sunbasket. To best support this podcast, please support its sponsors and get discounts while you're at it. Go to sunbasket.com slash birthful today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. And go to fullscript.com slash birthful to learn more about streamlining the delivery of any and all of your supplements. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Sabrisky. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network. Find out more at parentsondemand.com. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>